people got around him, like... <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Stuart Sarum, the lead pastor. It's great to have you with us this morning. It's great to be continuing our series uh, here in Exodus. And uh, yeah, we've heard some of the plagues, uh, which is uh, pretty exciting. Uh, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you this question here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to open your word. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would help us to hear what you're saying, and that we might respond in obedience. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I uh, want to ask you, what, what would be the first thought in your head if your home came to this, or if you came home to this? Has anyone had this happen? Some of you might have had this happen. Has anyone had this happen? What would be your first thought if you walk home and your beautiful is looking like that? Has everyone got out of the house? So that okay, yes. Yeah, so let me let me help you out. Everyone's in the car with you, okay, including the dog and the goldfish and everything else. So you're not worrying about any loss of animals. What, what's your first thought? What happened? What happened? Yes. Who left the heater on? You know? uh, I, I think uh, once you get through all the diagnostic sort of things, um, the thing that will rise up often will be, ah, right. Well, uh, I'll go to my parents. They'll look after the kids and give us somewhere to stay. Or um, I'm going to rebuild. Or, don't worry, the insurance has got, got that. I've got enough money. I've been waiting to get out of this dump of a suburb for a while anyway. Uh, I'm going to go and live somewhere else. Um, often when we're faced with calamity, with tragedy, with big events, uh, the first place that our thoughts turn to will be the thing that we consider to be our strength, the thing that we can trust in. I'll turn to my parents. I'll rebuild. I've got skills. I'm a carpenter. I've got lots of money we'll rebuild. The insurance will take care of it. They're the people who are safeguarding my life. Do, do, do you know what I'm saying? We fall back to the thing. What's the thing that I'm most sure of that will help me move forward? And I wonder, when faced with utter ruin like that, how many of us would have the first thought to be, fall on our knees and say, Lord, help me. Because I suspect... Almost all of our thinking will turn onto ourselves and our own resources and the strength that we're able to bring to solve the problem. And what we're going to look at today is a man who was faced with ruin but had to have this happen in order not to rely on the things that he naturally turned to. So what was it that Pharaoh was trusting in? If you're Pharaoh, what do you trust in? Well, firstly, I suspect you trust in the fact that you can make 60-foot high versions of yourself uh, carved out of a mountain. Uh, you're a pretty powerful dude. So there's something about your position that can be worth trusting in. Second thing I think that you trust in is um, I've got a pretty huge army and we pretty much do whatever it is that we want to do in the ancient Near East. We can just go and take care of that. So I've got military strength. That, that's part of my pride. On top of that, I've got some pretty wise magician type dudes. So I've got the military and I've got my mag magicians. And my magicians help me deal with the world around me and, and kind of corral everything together. They're smart and they advise me and they're powerful. So I've got my military, I've got my magicians. Um, I've also got the land of Egypt, which is pretty fruitful. Even though it's desert around the place, it's pretty fruitful. I, I, I've, I've got lots of resources, lots of natural resources at my disposal. 
maybe I've got lots of gods. Uh, Pharaoh absolutely had lots of gods. Matt uh, showed us that last week with a sort of a grid of all the different gods that, that they had. They had gods for everything. So I've got the military, I've got my magicians, I've got a, a very prosperous land, I've got stacks of gods. Uh, so that's pretty handy. And on top of that, in my back pocket, I've got a bunch of slaves. I can build anything I want. just need to whip them a bit harder and they'll get it done. So if you're Pharaoh, God in Egypt, for all intents and purposes, you've got a whole bunch of reasons to feel full of pride and power and arrogance. And to some extent, the reality is you, are, you may as well be God. Because anything you want to have happen, happens in the world around you. Which is not our natural everyday experience, I think. Particularly if you've got kids, you'll understand that. So in the midst of all of his power and might and influence, Ramses II has these two guys show up. Now I'm pleased that you laughed. I don't know how many of you noticed how old uh, these guys are. Um, it says in the, in the text here that they are 80 and 83 years old. Did you know that? Moses is always this kind of sprightly, young, hip thing, you know, wow, let's go do this. He's 80 and his brother Aaron is 83. So just get the picture right. You're God in the land of Egypt and some old blokes from your slave nation inside your nation turn up. Hello, boys. I think you might have turned left at the wrong spot. Uh, what the heck are you doing here? And then, then there's that stuff about snakes and staves. Staves or staffs? Can anyone help me out there? I've, I've debated this backwards and forwards at the wee hours of the morning. And apparently, uh, you can have staffs or staves. I, I, you can tell me. Write on your connect card and let me know what you'd prefer. But okay, here's, here's, here's the thing. So, uh, so there's Pharaoh sitting on his throne or whatever, ruling over Egypt. And these old codgers come in, right? And, uh, and they do this magic trick where this guy, he says, throws his staff down on the, on the ground, turns into a snake. Whoa, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Well done, you. And then Pharaoh goes, look, I've got some guys who take care of most of this weird stuff for me. Magicians, come here, please. And they all walk in with their staffs, right? And, and he calls his staff to help with the staff. Anyway, um, <laughs> So his staff comes in and they throw their staffs down on the ground and their staffs turn into snakes as well. Now, apparently the Egyptians were really into snakes, right? <laughs> and so uh, this is the Egyptian cobra. I tell you what, I don't want to be around an Egyptian cobra. That's got to be one of the most deadly snakes in the world, right? So now, in front of Pharaoh's throne, get the picture. There's just a stack of snakes going crazy around the place that are all deadly, Thank you, magicians. I'm not sure how that helped. You know what I mean? Like what? We've now got more snakes. Now, here's the next thing that happens. The old codger's snake eats all of the other snakes, swallows them all, until there's only one snake left. And Aaron walks over to it and picks it up as a staff. Now, that's a cool story, apart from anything else. That's just cool. But here's the really awesome thing. If you're a magician... Where's your power? It's in your stick, isn't it? You've watched Harry Potter, don't you? Maybe you haven't. Um, here's the thing, right? They walked in with their power sticks, right? They did their trick. They threw them on the ground. They turned into snakes. That's pretty cool, right? And then Aaron's stick ate their sticks. And he picked it up as a stick. Now, here's what happened. 
You've now got a bunch of relig- bunch of magicians who don't have a. Can you see how? Although this is just a fun story, what happens right at the start is that God disempowers all of the magicians in Egypt. They're left empty-handed. I think that's cool. So that's how this story starts. It starts with God smashing into one of the first pillars of Pharaoh's kind of, I'm okay, I've got my magicians on side. Now here's what I think Pharaoh thinks is going on. Here's Pharaoh. I'm God, right? And there's this old guys have come in and they've told me there's another God, the Lord. And Matthew told us very helpfully last week that the Lord's name in capitals like that is what? Yahweh. Yahweh. So there's another God, Yahweh, who's walked in. And so Pharaoh reckons, you know, we're going to get in the corner and we're going to douche this out, you know. But he's fundamentally wrong. That is not what is about to happen. That is not what is about to happen. This is what's about to happen. Pharaoh and all the things that he trusts in are not God. There is a God over all the world. And there is Pharaoh who is powerful in the world. And there are powerful things that he has in the world. But they are in the world. Pharaoh never was a God. And so what we see in this story apparently is like this big epic arm wrestle between Pharaoh and God. But that's to fundamentally misunderstand it. This is not an arm wrestle between a powerful man and a powerful God. In fact, what we see is the living God wants to speak to one of his creatures. The living God wants to speak to one of his creatures. A created being. Powerful. But absolutely, in no way, God's equal or God's wrestling companion. Just a creature. And yet, the living God wants to speak with him. So how will the living God speak to the guy who thinks he's God? You you probably need to bring some power to bear uh, to kind of make that happen. So how will he do it? Well, let me just run you through the plagues. Now, you may be totally familiar with the plagues, but since we're trying to overview chapters 8, 9, and 10, I figured I'd just kind of pull that together a little bit for you. So, uh, first plague is blood. Uh, the river Nile gets turned to blood. Then we have frogs turn up everywhere. Now, that's a cute frog. You, you might be happy to have a frog like that in your home or in the cistern in your toilet or whatever it is that, uh, that you want. So, frogs come up everywhere on the land and then they die everywhere on the land and it says, helpfully, that they stink. Then gnats come. Now, I don't think I know a gnat. Well, I do know a Natalie, but I don't know, I don't know gnats like this, right? I, I don't know them. I don't think I've met them. I've met sand flies. I don't think we're in, the, we're in roughly the same category, but they're just a little annoying flying thing that bites everyone and basically causes pain and anguish. Uh, after that, just helpfully, we scale up the annoying flying things to flies. Very good. So there's a plague of flies everywhere. Uh, then the livestock die. That's pretty awesome. So the livestock everywhere die. Now, uh, I don't know if if you saw coming into Oran Park this morning or if you live in Oran Park, how beautiful cows are on the hill. Did you see them? Oh, they make me so happy and peaceful. I love them. But imagine if they all died. That's what happens in plague number five. Now, that's a horrible one, isn't it? Boils. Boils break out all over everybody. That's a pretty yucky... uh, That's number six. And then you've got hail. Uh, which comes down and shreds everything. That's what Matthew just read for us. And then in case you hadn't kind of cleaned up everything, 
Uh, we then sent a plague of locusts through, which are so massively everywhere that it says the land grew black with them. And while we're on the theme of blackness, uh, that the ninth plague is that God sends darkness over the whole place. So darkness comes and covers the, the whole earth. Now we're hanging out for the tenth plague. And Matthew will be speaking about that for us next week. But these are the nine plagues uh, that we're looking at today. Now, a uh, really interesting thing that I found as I was carefully poring over these plagues, they actually turn up in three sets of three. So here's what happens. Here's the pattern. You ready? The first plague, God tells them there's going to be a plague. Get with the program. The second plague of the three, God says, there's going to be a plague. Get with the program. The third plague of the three is a terrible surprise. God doesn't tell them, and it just happens. And that is repeated. So then we go, flies, livestock, boils. And boils is your bonus terrible surprise. And then it goes, hail, locusts, and then darkness is your terrible bonus surprise. So three, and then three, and then three. That's the structure of these nine plagues. So what exactly does the God who is there, the God of the universe, Yahweh, what does he want to say to the man who's pretending to be God in Egypt? Well, that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. God wants to speak, and the first thing he wants to say is, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. It's not quite a greeting, how are you, it's nice to meet you. It's a declaration, guess what, I'm here and I have a name. My name is the Lord and I am here. So how is it that the Lord, the God who is there, will speak his name? Well, let's have a look. Now, uh, you can try and look them up with me if you would like. Um, The references are down the bottom in uh, small enough text to make sure that you need a telescope in the back. So if you want to uh, look at that, that would be great. But I'm happy to read them out because we're going to do quite a bit of Bible jumping today to see the points that God is speaking through these plagues. So let me read for you from Exodus 7, 3 to 5. God's speaking, and this is the plague, the first plague up here with the blood. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment will bring out my divisions... My people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know, what? That I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out. So God says, I'm going to do this that they might know that I am the Lord. Secondly, when it comes to the hail, so a bit later on in 8.22, Moses replied, when I've gone out of the city, I think it's in 8.22 anyway, let me just have a quick check. No, it's not 822. Uh, It's somewhere else. Uh, Moses replied, When I've gone out of the city, I'll spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So what's going to happen is in the hail plague, um, God says it's going to come down. And then he says, Pharaoh, I'm going to honour you. Why don't you pick the time of day that you want the, the hail to stop? And he goes, oh, tomorrow. Now, I don't get that. (coughs) Seriously. Uh, Can you make it today? Uh, About five minutes ago would be great. Thank you. Anyway, he picks the time and Moses goes and prays and he says, the thunder will stop and there'll be no more hail on the time you said so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. 
That is, the whole of the land belongs to who? Yahweh. Do you reckon that land had some other gods attached to it? think so. We're going to see that in a second. But he's going to do the hail one so that they may know that the earth is the Lord's. And then this is right in Exodus 10.2. We see that the locusts will come so that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Now the first two were for Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you will know that there is a Lord. And this one is saying when the locusts come, Israel will know that Yahweh is God. Israel will know that Yahweh is Lord. So the living God wants to say, I am the Lord. And he's going to use the megaphone of the plagues. The second thing he wants to say is, I am the Lord, the God. Now, Israel has a wacky idea. It's a crazy idea in the context of the, of the, um, the world that they're in. They're saying there's only one God. Only one. I am the God. The only God is what God is going to try and say. So let's see how he does it. So in 7.22, so right at the start, um, when, uh, when he turns the, uh, the Nile into blood, it says in 7.22, the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Now, I know this is funny, but... The magicians, right? God does a plague. The river turns to blood. Aaron holds out his hand and every vessel that you have. So here's my cup of water, which I'm going to drink from just to prove it's water. Every vessel that's holding water will turn into blood. Everywhere. And then Moses' magicians come up and look what it says. The Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. Well, I just want to tell you, that's not very magical and it's not very helpful. There's blood everywhere, blood everywhere. Can you imagine how horrendous that is? And the magicians go, oh, look, this is no biggie. We can produce more blood in vessels. What? What? Every bit of water has turned to blood anyway, so I don't know what they're getting. I assume they're pouring some bloody water from somewhere else into something. And look, God, we, we've done some more stuff as well. And if I'm fair, I'm going, you guys are hopeless. If you could reverse this and turn it back into water, that'd be a cool trick. But you know what he does? He says, oh, yeah, they, they've got it covered. They could do this as well if they wanted to. And it says there that he hardened his heart. When it comes to the frogs... The magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, I want to know, how do you know that they were your frogs? Because I reckon there's frogs everywhere. Oh, um, that one there and that one there coming up. Oh, we, we, we made them come up. I reckon I could have made frogs come up in Egypt. But again, here's the thing, right? What's the advantage of that? You produce more frogs. Not very powerful. Or if it is powerful, well done, congratulations. But we've got enough frogs already. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. There was a god called Happy, I think Matthew mentioned this last week, who was connected to the Nile. So the god of the Nile, the life-giving Nile. And what God does is says to the god of the Nile, see you later, you're not really very powerful, I'm going to make your waters blood. And then... 
There's another god, a god called Heket. Again, you'll want to just build a you know a little model of these at home or something. I don't know what, but here's more information than you need. But there's a god called Heket. Now, can you have a look at the head of Heket? It's actually a frog. The god Heket has a frog's head. And the god Heket was the god of fertility. So here's what God does. Your Nile god's dead. And your fertility god, well, yeah, 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 we've got lots of frogs. And do you know what happens to them? They die. Hey, fertility god, how's that working out? There's death in your shape everywhere in Egypt. That's pretty epic, isn't it? Uh, Nile God, not doing very well. Uh, Frog God, not doing very well. Okay. Now, when it comes to gnats, gnats are tricky, apparently. Have a listen to this. When the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not, and there were gnats on men and animals. I don't know. I would have been the magicians again and just gone, oh, look, look, we're producing some more gnats. There's more gnats around. But they they give up themselves. They say, you know what? We're out. We can't do gnats. Gnats are really hard. And the next verse in 8.19, here's what it says. Have a listen to this. I think this is really, really striking. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. The magicians, the magic guys in Egypt decided this is unequivocally God at work. Pretty striking. Now, in between, we have a, between the next one I'm getting to, we have a, a god called Apis, who's the god of livestock. How did that work out for Apis? Didn't work out very well, did it? God killed the livestock. Cross another god off your pantheon. Not working. All right. Now we get to boils. How does how boils work out for the magicians? The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. I am an ugly, sorry, sick thing. I can't even stand here and try to produce more boils because I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed at my ugly, pustulant body. I mean, it's just disgusting, isn't it? So the, Egypt, the, mag- the magicians couldn't even show up to challenge Moses and Aaron at this point because they were so embarrassed and ruined by the power of God. So that's boils. <coughs> when it comes to hail, have a listen. They're getting it. They're getting it. So Moses says, it's an announced plague. Moses says, basically, guys, tomorrow it's about to hail. It's going to hail. So if you love anything that's outside, go get it and bring it inside because it's going to get really ugly in Egypt. Here's what the officials did in 920. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. Now that's pretty striking, isn't it? What's the God of the universe trying to do? He's trying to communicate with Pharaoh. And there are people in Pharaoh's court who are now saying, hey, we trust the word of the Lord and we love our slaves. Well, I'm not sure we love them, but they're worth a bit of money for us. Let's go get them inside. I wouldn't leave my tools out in the hail. So they called them inside because they feared the word of the Lord. It's happening. You know, there was a God of the sky and storms. God called Seth. I don't think we have any Seths in our kids' ministry, do we? Okay, cool. Anyway, uh, how's it work out for Seth? 
Uh, so, so Seth's the one that brings the rains and that sort of thing. And what, 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 what God does, is he says, I'm going to bring a storm that's never been before in this country. So you're going to see that God is powerful. In fact, I'm going to send a storm that will show you that Seth is not in charge because you, Pharaoh, will tell me to tell God to pick the hour when the storm will stop. And it's not going to be praying to Seth. It's going to be praying to Yahweh. That's the time? Yep, got it. Okay, God's got that for you because he is the boss of the sky. <laughs> They're getting it, right? Listen to this. We're a little bit further on at 9.20. Now, Pharaoh's official said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go. So they may worship the Lord, their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? There is a God. He's in Egypt and he's ruining everything. Get these people out of here. That's the same people who were busily doing magic tricks early on. They figured it out. God's in the house and they've got to get these guys out of here. There was a God called Ra. He's the God of the sun. That's a pretty good one. He's pretty high up the, uh, the order, the pecking order of great and mighty gods, right? And, uh, and so what are we going to do? Well, we can worship the sun. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the pharaohs actually decided they'd quit worshipping all the other gods and worship the sun only. So the sun's up there, right? Pretty important God. And so what does God send? We're going to do some darkness for you, kids. On demand. Darkness. And it's going to happen for an extended period of time. And you're going to know that Ra can't even shine on his own country. That's pretty striking, isn't it? All right. What does the living God want to say? I am the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. I'm attached with a particular people group in the world. Have a listen to what it says in, uh, in the plague of flies. In, uh, I think this is 8.20. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in the land. And I'll make a distinction between... My people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. I love it. God's on a schedule. It's going to happen tomorrow. And you're going to see tomorrow, I have a group of people that are my people. I am the God of the Hebrews. In this one, uh, the hail one, then the, uh, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning. This is so funny. Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is as he's going down to the river. I reckon Pharaoh's a bit hungover. No, I don't know if he's hungover. But he's going down to the river in the morning going, oh man, it's been hard. And he sees Moses and Aaron again standing at the, oh, rack off guys, bring me my coffee instead. And they say this to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they may worship me. Or I will send the full, the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. Which God am I? I'm the powerful one. I'm not the one of the, Egypt, of the river, of the, um, the frogs or whatever. I'm the God of the Hebrews. Nice work, God. I'm the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. What else does he want to say? Boom. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Have a listen to this. It just says it explicitly. So uh, actually turn to it because I've I've jumped you all over the Bible. Um, Have a look with me on uh, Exodus chapter 10 and verses 3 to 4. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long? 
Will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts onto your country tomorrow. What's God looking for? Pharaoh, abandon all hope. Stop being such a stuck-up, prideful brute of a man. Humble yourself, or tomorrow I've got locusts for you. The living God wants to say to the man who's pretending to be God, I am the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. Humble yourself and, cue song, let my people go. Seriously, does anyone know this song anymore? Anyone got this? You got that? Is it? Some of you are looking at me going, what, what is this man doing? That's okay. I won't sing for you. I'll stick to the preaching and we can do the singing later. Um, here's the, uh, actually, I'll just take that back. Um, God says, let my people go. We know that's kind of the big thing. There's a, there's a personal message for Pharaoh. The message for Pharaoh is humble yourself. The message for his people is, you've got to let these people go. They have got a nation to go and possess. Let them go. Now, what I'm going to put up under the plagues is red light, green light, to show when Pharaoh says, yes, you can go, and to show, no, you can't go. You ready to see? All right, here's how it unfolds. So, Pharaoh says, no. Then he says, yes. Then he says, no. Then he says, no. Then he says, yes. Then he says, no. Then he says, no. Then he says, no. Then he says, yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Will you let my people go? Um, um. He's thinking about it, but you know what? I reckon he's addicted to slaves. He can't kick the habit. He can't kick the habit. If I let you guys go, who the heck is going to build Pitom and Ramsey's part two? Who's, who's going to do all the hard yakker around here? I mean, I'm, I'm, you're killing me, God. But I've got these slaves in my veins. I can't let them go. Have a listen to Pharaoh flip-flop uh, in the, uh, the Plague of Flies. Uh, so have a look with me, Exodus 8. Exodus 8, and I'm going to read 28 here, so it's on page 63. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. So that's a yes, isn't it? Yep, you can go, just don't go very far. Uh, Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I'll pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. That's pretty cool, by the way. And the Lord did what Moses asked. Powerful guy. The flies left Pharaoh and the officials and his people, and not a fly remained. Bring it to Australia. It's okay. But, verse 32, but this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. In the midst of his trial, he goes, Lord, save me. And when everything comes good again, what does he do? I'll probably get by. Should be okay. Don't need any of your help. Now, I want to just look at you for a second, everyone, and say, is that like you? There's heaps of times when you can be overwhelmed. Maybe you're, maybe you're uh, Tom, uh, your mate on the boat. 
I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm going to die. God, I've got a bargain with you. And we get back on land and we go, who's God anyway? I'm back in control of my life again. I want you to have a look with me at Pharaoh's heart. Have a look with me at Pharaoh's heart. Now, this is just interesting, just reading the story through. Here's what it says. In the river of blood, it says his heart was hard. It's just an observation. His heart was hard. In the frog's one, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. So he made it harder. God, I'm angry with you. In the gnat's one, it says his heart was hard. In the flies, it said Pharaoh hardened his heart. In the, in the livestock, it said his heart was hard. In the boils, it says God hardened his heart. In the hail, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. In the locusts, it says God hardened his heart. And in the darkness, God hardened his heart. Now, what do you make of that? Keep your heart soft, hey? When did it all happen? When did it all happen? Well, it happened when this guy was mighty and awesome. And you know what? He died. And we've showed you this picture before. He died. He died with a hard, hard heart. Hard heart. It happened 3,000 years ago. Where does this story come home to us today? Where does it come home and find us today? Well, first thing I want to say is you and I need to deal seriously. Some of you are Christians. Some of you won't know God as your Lord. Here's the thing. You might get angry. You might get upset. You might get frustrated with God. When we do that, we often want to say, God, get in the ring. You and I are going to have this out, right? But we forget. We get this wrong. God is the creator. We are the creature. You will not look eye to eye with God and try and punch him out. You are a creature and you must remember your place. Take the time to consider your position. And I think this is a scary statement, but I want to say it. Learn to fear God. (coughs) Learn to fear God. And if you're a Christian who, you're so used to reading Jesus picking up lambs and, and patting kids on the head, and you've decided that God really is cuddly and awesome, your best pal, I think we need to read Exodus. And we need to stand in awe before the living God and go, God, you are unbelievably powerful. It's incredible that you want to relate with us, but you are powerful. I fear you as God, as powerful. I love this proverb. Listen to these words. Blessed is the one who trembles before God. Blessed is the one who trembles before God. It'll be good for you. It will go well for you if you tremble before God. But whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. These words from 1 Peter say this. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because what? Read it with me. In blue. God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. God opposes the proud and shows favour to the humble. And so the scripture continues there. Humble yourselves, therefore, it makes sense. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, 
that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. His, his, that's great, isn't it? Uh, here's, here's what I think it looks like to meet the living God. You're standing there in your board shorts and your T-shirt. and Take the time to soften your heart and don't make God your enemy. Did you know that you could make your, God your enemy by being proud? Oh, we, we never think this through. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You are making God your enemy if you'll stand there and shake your fist in his face and say, I'm in charge here. Don't make God your enemy. Soften your heart. Soften your heart. And I reckon the only way we soften our hearts is when we say, God, I can't stand before you and take you on. I'm just a creature. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. So here's where I'll land us today. Uh, in, the author of the Hebrews is quoting a psalm here. And he says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Have you heard the living God speaking to creatures today? He's powerful. He's awesome. He's in charge of the universe and not you. And if you've heard his voice today, the right response is not to go, whatever. It's to humble your heart before him. To soften it and ask for his mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it says in your word, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we know that without Jesus, it would truly be overwhelming. We thank you, Father, as we prayed at the start of this service, that there's forgiveness for the proud heart. That in Jesus, you have shown us a way to be right with you. Father, I pray for hard, prideful hearts. Mine, yours. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us not to trust in our own resources. Help the first thing that we do when faced with calamity not be, not be to turn to ourselves, but to cast ourselves on you. Help us this week to walk trusting you and not ourselves. And we ask it, Father, so that we might know the blessing of relying on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the words carry in that car.